0: Hello, everyone. It is Thursday at 4 p.m., and that means it's time for the ICEJ Weekly Webinar. We want to welcome everyone who's coming in, joining us by Zoom, by uh, Facebook Live, or by the uh, uh, YouTube channel. We just appreciate everyone being here. Let me just say that if you're on youtube or facebook live following us here and you need translation you need to come into our zoom room Uh, we have portuguese spanish thai Uh, we may have some other languages uh, joining us within the uh, the little bit sometimes we have russian and chinese and um but uh, it's just great to uh, have everyone with us this afternoon we are doing part two of a bible teaching series By Malcolm Heading. Reverend Malcolm Heading is the former executive director of the International Christian Embassy, ordained by the Assemblies of God of Southern Africa. Was a church planner there for many years. Served here in Jerusalem with the embassy. Uh, two different stints as our chaplain and then as our executive director. And uh, in recent years, he's been an associate pastor, a large church in Tennessee, and also now back in Israel, continuing uh, to his ministry in Israel. Also a board member of the Christian Embassy's International Board of Trustees and international speaker for us. Good to see you again, Malcolm.
1: You have to turn on your sound there, brother. Yes, good to see you, David. And uh, yes. once again, it's great to be with our viewers.
0: Yeah. Now, people were still talking about your, your teaching last week for days. And my wife, uh, she was saying, gosh, this is good. She wanted to listen to it again and going to tune in this week. So you're, you're building an audience here. My well, brother. that's
1: good. I'm glad. Wonderful. Yes. Thank God. Yeah,
0: many people said they wanted to make sure they came here for part two after part one was so uh, good and interesting, uh, possessing the gates of our enemy. Why don't you uh, start out with a little recap of uh, uh, last week and and then just lead right into this week where you're talking about restoring the gates of the church in order to carry out this mission of storming the gates of hell.
1: Thank you so much. Once again, welcome to all our viewers today, and it's a joy and a privilege to be part of this webinar presented by the International Christian Embassy, Jerusalem. So last week, we began part one of this Bible study, and we noted that the Word of God promises, first of all, and particularly to Israel, that she would possess the gates of her enemies. And we read that in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 17. And of course, we do remember the words of Jesus to Peter, the apostle at Caesarea Philippi, when they had that very interesting encounter about his identity. And uh, eventually, Jesus said to Peter, and also I say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the original language there, as most of you know, uh, means that the church is not um, retiring and uh, in a corner and in in a way being protected. The, The idea is that the church rises up and takes hold of the very gates of hell, casts them down, and possesses those who have been imprisoned by them. So that's the meaning of uh, Matthew 16 and verse 18. And as to the former, we understand that Israel is a theocracy. God made a promise to the nation. And he said, if the nation serves him and loves him and lives in a reconciled relationship with him, as we well know from the scriptures, then he would would bless them abundantly and they would possess the gates of their enemies. And so here God is addressing the theocracy of Israel, the nation of Israel, and we noted last week that probably Israel only possessed the gates of her enemies during the reign of King David and secondly that of Solomon and maybe for short periods under the rule of people like Hezekiah. But essentially, from that moment onwards, um, she diminished in power and influence and eventually went into the greatest exile in Jewish history that has lasted some 2,000 years, but thank God, is now over. What a wonderful day we live in when we see the restoration of Israel. But we do not yet see her possessing the gates of her enemies that day my friends is surely coming but the promise to the church is different because the church is not territorial we are a mystical body and uh, we see that uniquely put forth in paul's letters and chiefly the book of ephesians where we are a mystical body above nationalities above racial distinct, distinctions, even gender distinctions. We are a unique people and our life and purpose and very source of being in the world comes from Jesus Christ himself, whom Paul says is the head. And so we are a spiritual kingdom and we are not seeking now territorial advantage or sovereignty anywhere. But we are seeking to penetrate the world and to call people out of it by the wonderful message of the gospel of Jesus. And in that context, we noted last week that we are to be salt and light. And it is that calling over our lives, the Bible calls it the Great Commission, and also to be salt and light It's this great calling that propels us into the world and even sometimes and in many cases gives Christians places of great influence in government. So we do pray for government and we do pray for our leaders. We said that last week, but we do so so that they can pass good laws, bring safety and peace to their nations so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be freely preached throughout the nation. What a wonderful calling this is. So today, we're going to examine more fully the church's calling to possess the gates of her enemies and what conditions have to be set in order in the church for her to do so. And um, I want to talk about our understanding uh, for a little bit in this regard the poured out blood of Jesus, if appropriated by repentance and faith, puts the believer in right standing with God. You know, it's so easy to say that uh, it sort of rolls off one's tongue, but that, my dear friends, is absolutely incredible, that we can be put into right standing with God. And the question of why I am here, who am I, what is my purpose, is actually soul because of the death of Jesus on the cross. That is, he or she is delivered from all demonic influence and has power and authority over the same. That's a wonderful thing. I'm, rem- I'm reminded today of when Jesus gave us the Great Commission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But before that, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, now you can go. Many Christians don't read that properly and they misconstrue that to suggest that they've been given all authority and power. That is not true. All authority and power has been given to Jesus. And as we go forth into the world to fulfill his call over our lives, so he will delegate the authority and power that we need to take down The gates of hell. So we see that when believers are gathered together in prayer and fellowship and unity, they have indeed the ability to remove everything, and I mean everything, that resists the preaching of the gospel. That is so important, my friends, I'll say together again. When believers are gathered together in fellowship, prayer, and unity, they have the ability to remove everything that resists the preaching of the gospel. And we see this clearly illustrated in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. Devilish opposition to the preaching of the gospel brought the church together. And we are told that when they prayed in unity, the power of God came down upon them in such a way that the house in which they were seated shook and they went out to seize the gates of hell. What a wonderful story that is. And we need to always meditate upon it. So, we also see in scripture another dimension of this truth in that the Holy Spirit leads his people to take hold of places in political gates of the world so that the purposes of God can be more fully fulfilled as relating to Israel and the church. Again, they don't take over the governments of the world, but they become salt and light, and they begin to influence those governments on behalf of the people of God and, of course, the state of Israel. The most wonderful example of this in the Bible is, of course, our friend Daniel. Daniel was raised up to take the gates of some of the greatest and most evil empires in history. And for this purpose also of protecting the Jewish exiles and enabling them to return to Jerusalem and the land of Israel. And might I say that paved the way for the birth of Jesus of Nazareth in Bethlehem. So God, God, promised that that would happen in Genesis 22 and verse 17. So Daniel is is a wonderful example of what we're talking about, that he never overtook or took over these evil empires of Babylon, Medo-Persia or Persia, but he was in a place of great authority and favor that God used him because of this to facilitate his purpose in the world. In terms of the church, We see this reflected in Paul's life and ministry in that God brought him before political leaders of the day and even before Caesar. In fact, he was so successful in demolishing the gates of hell that he impacted, we are told in the book of Philippians, Caesar's personal bodyguard with the message of Jesus. And that again tells us what the gates that we are, are, to assault. These are the gates that resist the preaching of the gospel. And Paul was so successful. He was salt. He was light, even in a jail, that his life impacted the praetorian God and reached right into Caesar's household. That, my friends, is astonishing and should be an invitation to me and to you to believe that God can use us In the same way and uh, we need to remind ourselves of that now just two centuries later the church conquered Rome and its message spread throughout the Roman world it is to be noted once again that the church did not take over these governments but it did influence them in fulfilling the purpose of God for those generations in bringing the saving message of Jesus to the hearts of villages and towns and cities of the time. In our time, the church enjoys limited dominion. We need to know that. In this time, if you want to call it this dispensation, the church therefore enjoys limited dominion. But in the age to come, as we shall see, this changes dramatically because we will reign with Jesus over the nations from Jerusalem. But now, We have a limited domain to work in, and that is to preach the wonderful message of Jesus and to get into places of authority and influence whereby we are salt and light and take down the gates of hell. Of course, this truth is also reflected in the life and ministry of John Knox, who had such power in Scotland that Mary, the Queen of the Scots, feared him more than anyone else. William Hechler, we mentioned him last week, another Bible-believing Christian, was raised up by God to facilitate the vision of a restored Jewish state that was given to none other than Theodore Herzl. Lord Balfour was actually a strong evangelical Christian. He came from a very, very dedicated Christian family. And God put him in a place of government so that he could issue the Balfour Declaration in 1948 that led uh, to the founding of the State of Israel in that year. He actually made that statement before then in 1917. But in 1948, it became a reality. We noted last week that in America, we have George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, that led such an awakening, awakening in the 13 original states that paved the way for one of the most remarkable constitutions the world has ever seen to be written, establish a nation that has brought the gospel of Jesus to the four corners of the earth, and actually, I believe, led the way to one of the greatest revivals we've ever seen, and that was in 1906, the great Azusa Street outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So we could talk further of people like William Wilberforce and uh, many others who God put in great places of influence salt and light so that they could facilitate the purpose of God and chiefly in the proclamation of the message of Jesus to take down the gates of hell that imprison people From hearing that message. We noted last week that the Bible says that the ungodly are unable to see the light of the glory of Christ because the God of this world has blinded them. He keeps them in prison. He keeps them locked up in a darkness and we are called to assault those gates and take them down. Some of the greatest sinners in this world and let me tell you I've met some of them and I know them personally. But some of the greatest sinners in this world who are infamous in terms of the world and the world's description of them, let me tell you, dear friends, that in the end, they capitulated, gave their lives to Jesus, and got wonderfully saved. The gates of hell fell, and these people came out and were saved. That is amazing. And we should never forget it. And we are reminded, of course, that we have the wonderful testimony in the book of Acts, chapter 13 and verse 36 concerning King David. The Bible says about David that after he served the purposes of God for his generation, he fell asleep. And, you know, that is such an encouraging scripture for me. Because you know, David, if I have to be honest, had a very shady testimony. You know, if, if he ever wrote his biography or something like that, um, and you read it, you would wonder whether this guy was really, really truly saved. What happened here? Yeah. I mean, the things he got up to uh, in his life, including murder and, and adultery, And yet the Bible testifies that he repented, he turned around, he wept before God, he came back, he was restored. And the testimony of scripture is that he tore down the gates of hell in his generation and he served the purposes of God. No matter how weak you feel, no matter how diminished you feel, no matter how broken your testimony is, my dear friend... If you are watching this today or listening to it, I want to tell you that God is speaking to you now through your computer and he's telling you that he has a plan for your life. Don't be diminished by what you think about yourself. Rather, rise up. Take hold of what God says about you. And you can make an incredible difference in the world just as David did. And we should never forget that. So we must look to God in prayer as never before. I believe that prayer is the foundation stone that we need to lay in place in order for the church to once again take hold of the gates of hell. And particularly, particularly for our young generation, we really need to see young men and women take their places of authority at the gates of hell, and assault them. And, you know, God wants to do that. And he wants us to play a role in their lives that is so important. So, this brings us to the church. I think, if we look at scripture, the testimony of Jesus about the end-time church is not a good one. And I'm not saying that because I'm not... Uh, in any way convinced of the victory of Christ. I'm saying that because in the book of Revelation, when Jesus speaks of the final church of history, he calls it a lukewarm church. He calls it a church that is diluted in truth. And even through his servant Paul, he warns that in the end time. One of the greatest threats to the church will be that of deception. And so if there's ever a need for the gates of the church to be repaired, it's now because actually we have the reverse happening. The church should be strong. It should be vibrant. It should be committed to truth and purity. It should be committed to intercession or what we said last week, importunate prayer. Prayer that never gives up, but continues to lay hold of God. So that's the picture that the church should be. It's that church that will take hold of the very gates of hell and release people into the glorious message of Jesus and his saving work. I always think of my friend Reinhard Bonnke, And much of his ministry was done out of my birth country, which is South Africa. His head office was just a few miles from my hometown. And uh, I used to hear him at conferences all over the country. And it was absolutely incredible to listen to him uh, through some of my elders. We were involved in his ministry at a very administrative, important area but he always said that the mission that God gave him was to plunder hell and retrieve souls. He wrote a book about that. And I think we need to get something of that, that spirit in our hearts uh, like Reinhard Bonnke and the church needs somehow its own gates to be repaired because as I've said in many cases today, The evangelical church is being assaulted by demonic powers and being infiltrated by false doctrine and uh, compromise, strange belief systems, and uh, easy believism, and the real message of repentance and faith, and even the preaching on things like hell and the judgment and wrath of God are totally neglected. So there is a restoration of the church gates that has to take place. And you know, the book of Nehemiah tells us about these in, in a very stunning way. And, um, and we, we read about them in this restoration book. You see, the book of Nehemiah is a, is a restoration book. It, it deals with what happened uh, when the exiles came back from Babylon and the process they had to go through in order to rebuild their own gates so that they were fortified against an ever-present and pressing enemy. And we can see that in uh, the third chapter of uh, the book of Nehemiah. And he goes through these gates and they are quite remarkable because they are nine in all. And uh, it might sound a lot, but they're not difficult to understand. And, and bit by bit, they restored every gate so that they could be in a position where they could resist the enemy. And that's what the church has to do today. The church has to restore itself. Those who have ears to hear pastors and leaders. There needs to be a restoration, my friends, in our churches. And um, so we're going to go through this. Some of it is self-evident in a way, but actually today it doesn't appear to be so. The church needs to be strengthened. Its gates need to be restored so that it can rise up once again and take the gates of hell. So the first gate is the Sheep Gate, and that's mentioned in Nehemiah and verse 1. And that simply means, you know, the people of God need to be cared for and loved. And if there's anything that should characterize a local church, it should be that there's real care and love and intimacy between believers. And it is the shepherds, the overseers. The Bible talks of elders. It calls them also overseers, shepherds, or bishops. All these words mean the same thing. A bishop is a shepherd. And the church has shepherds appointed, ordained, set aside, the local church. And the reason why this is so is because God wants his people cared for. You know, years ago, I planted a church in Durban. And um, the Lord told me to plant it in the middle of the city. Now, normally you would plant a church in a community where there's a subdivision, a housing area, lots of people. And But the middle of the city, you know, everybody left the city at night and went home. Well, why would you plant a church there? But very clearly the Lord told us to do it. And In fact, we went down to the city and god gave us the most remarkable building he gave it to us as our own it was it was a remarkable sequence of events and and here we had this 500 seater church and in the middle of the city and i wondered lord how, how is this going to work you know and uh, he said to me that if you are prepared to care for my sheep I will send them to you. I've never forgotten it. I've preached it all over the world. I've said to ministers' conferences, shepherds' conferences, I've said the number one thing God is looking for, it does this community care for his sheep. If you are committed to caring for my sheep, then I will do what the Bible says, that God added to them Daily, such as were being saved, you know, within a very short period of time, that church grew to over 400 people, and uh, then we planted another one, and uh, and you know, we need to hear this. This is not about preaching and platforms and stuff like this, friends. Paul pleaded with the Ephesian elders before he left them that they would shepherd the flock of God that he purchased with his own blood. We need to have local churches today that care for people. Secondly, they repaired the fish gate. And Jesus said to his disciples, you know, follow me. It's in Mark chapter 1 and verse 17. And I will make you fishers of man. You know, once... Once the sheep are secure and cared for, they become happy. You know, sheep that are not cared for and not loved and unhappy, you can't give them vision. You can't focus them. But once you've secured them and blessed them and they know who their shepherds are, then they will follow and they will begin to look outward and not inward. You know, the church exists. For those who do not belong to it. How true that is. And if we do not reach out, there'll come a time when churches die, and many do. I've been to many churches with a great history and a great legacy. They've even written books about it, but you can walk into them today and there are only 20 people there. And you ask, what happened? Well, they became too inward-looking. And we have to have the fish gate. We have to encourage people to share the life of Jesus that is within them. And, you know, our testimonies need to make people thirsty. When the Bible says we should be salt and light, salt does a number of things, dear friends. You know, salt, it's a preservation agent. And that's why we become salt. Because we we retard wickedness. God puts us in places of influence so that we can hold back wickedness for one reason only so that the gospel can be preached. But salt also gives flavor. You know, if you get a nice bowl of French fries and they don't have salt on them, man, they're not good. Okay. And so you need to put salt on them and there's nothing worse than French fries that have no salt on them and there's no salt cellar in view anywhere this is not good and uh, salt gives flavor to the world let your life be joyful let it be peaceful let it give flavor let it make people thirsty if you if you drink a lot of salt eat a lot of french fries with salt the result is you're looking For a glass of water and we need to have this fish gate it's a simple thing isn't it this is not complicated but you know many of these simple principles of church life and building are being neglected and our gates are in ruins and then of course the third one is in verse six it's called the old gate the old gate that's an interesting concept We must embrace the new that God is doing, and he is doing new things. But never forget the old and the tried ways of God. I've been in some churches that they're so committed to the new that they've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, it's crazy stuff. And uh, God has given a legacy of the old ways to the church, and they are good. They are very good. And uh, we need to know that. And we need to appreciate and honor the ways of our fathers in the faith and not think that we're a generation that is so cool that we don't need them. No, we need them because they give us boundaries. They give us perimeters, They give us ways by which we know our limits. It's so important. And the Bible always says that. And it warns about moving the ancient landmarks. Proverbs 22 and verse 28. And uh, Jeremiah 6 and verse 16 says this. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is. And walk in it. Then you will find rest. your souls. We need the word of God, my friends, certainly upon which to stand in our lives. But we also need those tried and proved ways which God has given to our fathers. We need to honor them and restore them sooner than later, believe me. Sooner than later. And uh, (coughs) that is so important and you know I, I remember that um, there was a wonderful church in Cape Town some of you may remember who are listening today from South Africa it was called Harfield Road some of the greatest revivals uh, in the Western Cape broke out through Harfield Road and some of the most wonderful preachers came through uh, that church the Harfield Road Assembly of God But, you know, I remember the leaders, the more elderly leaders of the church. And, you know, we all thought they were a bit strict, you know, and a bit little over the top. But actually, as time has gone by, years ago, I realized they were right and we were wrong. And they would constantly bring the church back to the things that really mattered. The old gate. Fourthly, the valley gate. It's mentioned in verse 13. And uh, what does the valley gate mean? It means there must be a distinction between believers and the world. Now, the Bible doesn't speak about isolation. The Bible speaks about separation. And... Somehow, the Christian, for good or for bad, because Paul says that we are a fragrance of life and of death to those that we encounter. But they need to know either way that we are different, that there is a valley between us. There's a distinction. And it gets back to the heart of Christianity, restoring the gates of the church, my friend that the Bible says that even when you are a baby believer, you are a new creature in Christ. And it makes you something totally different. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I remember when I first found Jesus, what a transformation took place in my life. I mean, I, I was a very young believer, maybe two months, I, whatever. There was little sanctification, going on in my life yet, but I had such a remarkable encounter with Jesus that immediately my life became different. The valley became evident. And we, we need to be like that. Our churches need to be like that. It's the dimension of a people who live according to a different way. And you remember in the book of Acts, the the people said, you know, those people who've turned the world upside down, they've come here now. In other words, they, they live differently. And I don't think they knew much about their sanctification or inward purity, but they knew a lot about their outward behavior. But they were evident That something remarkable had happened. We need that gate to be restored. The church is not isolated from the world, not trying to be weird. But we are separate. And that separateness is not a rule or a regulation. It flows out of a dynamic that has encountered our hearts and lives. And um, James and John, as you all know, constantly, they underline the importance that there is a difference between the Christian and the world. And that difference has to be seen. And then, firstly, the refuse gate. And that's a more inward thing. And here we're talking about what's mentioned in verse 14, that they restored that gate. The people of God who claim to follow Jesus must be transformed into his likeness. We are a changing people. We are not the same this year as we were last year. There is an inward transformation, an inward purity, a sense of inward holiness, and sanctification that others can't see, but we have to have in our lives the working of God, the filth, the garbage dump within us has to be cleansed. And you know what? We all have it, but we have to preach on it. We have to exhort the church to follow Christ, to live as John says, if you claim To know him, then you should walk as him. In other words, there's an inward purity about your life that is absolutely dynamic. And, you know, Paul in the book of Romans talks about if you're justified, then you've set your life on a journey to be glorified through sanctification. Again, this is such a simple thing as they all are. But these are gates, my friends. That are being neglected. You know, there are people in churches today who are sitting in churches, living in sexual immaturity, all sorts of compromise. And we've heard it time and time again, it should not be true. Sadly, it is that the rate of divorce in in the church is exactly the same as that in the world. So what happened? Who's in charge here? Where's the transformed life? It is these things, my friends, that attracts the power of God to our meetings. It is these things that have to be restored in the church that will give us power to tear down the gates of hell, the gates of our enemies. So we need to find this refuse gate. Our lives must be changing. We must not only be seen to be different, we must be different. And that has to do with our corporate life together and our private life where God deals with us, lovingly corrects us, and helps us to change. And then there's the fountain gate. What a wonderful gate that is. You know, Jesus said that uh, on the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles, which we shall shortly celebrate, he went and watched the libation ceremony down at the Pool of Siloam, where after the long hot summer, they poured water out before the Lord, which was a very scarce commodity. And it was an act of dependence on God. And he watched as they went through that ritual. There he was honoring it. But then he cried out, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But then it says, this he spoke of the spirit of God, that those who believed in him were to receive. We need to be spirit filled What does it mean to be spirit-filled? You know, to be spirit-filled, the Bible says, is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It also says it is to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we will not take the gates of hell in our own power. We have to have the power and authority of Jesus. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Restore the gates of the church. Simple things. And then I will fill you with my spirit. You'll take the gates of hell. It's just a wonderful story. And to understand it, when Paul says be filled with the spirit, many Christians have the idea of a glass of water. It's like be filled up to the brim. That's not what the Bible is speaking about. When it says be filled with the Spirit, the actual language of the original means be influenced by the Spirit. Be influenced by the Spirit. If you've driven past a field of some type of crop and the wind is blowing, or you go past some trees and the wind is blowing, you can see the trees bending according to the power of the wind and the direction in which the wind is coming. They, they go with it, they bend to it. And so the fountain gate is to be a people who are influenced by the wind of the spirit. Years ago at a great Christian conference, I heard a leader say, That the church is the community of the wind blowing upon the structures of the world. Isn't that beautiful? The church is the community of the wind blowing upon the structures of the world. And what a wind this is. When it came on the day of Pentecost and the wind came, a mighty rushing wind also in fire of tongues and uh, it unleashed something that was absolutely incredible. We need that gate. We know it. It's quite simple, but we need it. And then there's the water gate, verse 26. And you know, the the water in the Bible always speaks of the word of God, the washing of the water of the word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And uh, Paul says that all scripture is inspired and given of God, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good deed. And, uh, you know, the early church was steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. It's the only Bible they had. But they quoted from it, these fishermen could quote whole passages of it. As Peter did in Joel, on the day of Pentecost. And if there's ever a time when the church needs to restore this gate, it's now. I believe today, with all our resources, with all our translations, With all our biblical helps and commentaries, I believe that generally even the evangelical church is biblically illiterate. How did that happen? It's a very pressing question. How did that happen? I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm not saying it to boast. I'm just telling you, What Jesus said to me when I got saved, he just said to me, I want you to read 10 chapters of the Bible every day. And I set out to build that into my life. It's not difficult. I believe that many Christians read more stuff on the internet than 10 chapters of the Bible a day. But it did something for my life. It put me on a foundation From which I can operate because I know the boundaries of God's will through his word. Simple. But it needs to be restored in the church. And then there's the horse gate. That means there must come a time when we go to battle. A horse is mentioned in verse 28, the horse gate It's an animal of war. Jesus comes on a mighty white horse. When he comes again, according to Revelation. And we are called to wage war. And and Paul says, chiefly, it is against principalities in wicked places. And he says, we ought to wrestle. If there's ever a time, and I'm saying it again, where the church has to restore The prayer meeting, it is now. Absolutely now. And might I say that events that are unfolding in the Middle East today, as we speak together at this very time, demonstrate that we're moving into a very urgent time in history, my friends. And in a way, like the book of Joel, we need to adjust many of our weekly church programs and turn them into prayer meetings. It's getting that urgent. We can no longer afford to be prayerless churches, prayerless communities, where hundreds of people attend church on the weekend, but 20 turn up for the prayer meeting. But on Sunday, we sing great songs of victory. But on Friday in the prayer meeting, We're not ready for battle. The soldiers are absent. They're not there. What happened? What is happening? The horse gate. It needs to be restored. These are quite simple gates. You see, there's nothing complicated about them. But they had to build them. To take down the enemy. And then, of course, there's the East Gate that speaks about the coming of Christ. It's always important for us to labor with one eye on what we're doing and another eye on the East. Because the second coming of Jesus is the blessed hope of the church. It keeps us alive. The certainty that our Savior is coming again. Absolutely certain. Keeps us moving forward. And he said, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. We need to rekindle an expectation of the second coming of Jesus. And he will bring in the full kingdom of God. And his church will be resurrected and rule and reign with him over the gates of the nations, the east gate. And we also need to live in the light of the inspection or gathering gate or mustering gate, verse 31. That means that every single one of us will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As Christians, not to be given entry into heaven or not. When we gave our lives to Christ, that became our assurance. But to be judged for what we did on earth for Jesus. How well we served him. How well we closed the gates. How well we held the fortress called church. From which we can and should attack the gates of hell. The fact that my life is to be fully examined by Jesus one day when I stand alone before him. Paul says, don't be deceived about this. We shall each one stand before the beamer of the judgment seat Of Christ it makes me want to close every gate restore the church and move her out in battle my dear friends let us take hold of all that Jesus has for us let us go into the world as he said to Peter And tear down the gates of hell. Paul was preaching. And he was tired and exhausted. And been persecuted. And Jesus said to him. Don't give up. Keep preaching. Why? I have many people in this city. That you have to call out. You have to take down the gates of hell. And rescue them. church needs to restore its gates and it shall and we shall be victorious God bless you all Amen Amen thank you Malcolm
0: Uh, we've just had more and more people joining as we've gone along over the last uh, hour uh, here on the, the Zoom community and I'm sure over on Facebook and uh, YouTube as well, and I'm sure everyone's going to tell people to catch this later, but uh, it's really great to have a seasoned minister of the gospel giving us truths for this hour from uh, your many years in ministry and your daily uh, delving into the word, Malcolm. It really shows here, and we very much appreciate it and uh, this is quite a powerful uh, teaching. Last week was great and this is just built upon it and really not much to add. I mean, there's really n- nothing I could add really at this moment, but I would, I would uh, for me personally, something that you've said here really uh, touched several of these gates, touch on not only the church as a whole uh, restoring the gates, but even individually, we get a hold of the gateways of our own lives, uh, and uh, one of them has to do with the the standards of holiness. Uh, and and uh, in the Book of Acts, chapter three, when Peter and John uh, lay hands on the lame man at the gate, beautiful, and he's healed, and the crowd gathers, and it's a big stir, and Peter gets up to preach his second sermon, and he says, "Why do you look at us mm. uh, as if by our own holiness or power that we have done this?" Mm,
1: true. But
0: it is interesting how he uh, he pairs holiness and power. Sometimes peace and righteousness go together. Uh, mercy and truth have kissed each other. There are certain principles in the Bible that are paired together. And holiness and power is one of them over and over. Romans 1, 4, Paul says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead. If Jesus hadn't lived a holy life, he'd have never been raised from the dead. But it was power, resurrection power in his life because it was holiness. And it was a spirit of holiness that we have to... Uh, desire and yearn for a desire to be perfect and pleasing to the Lord in all we do, and to 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 follow the old ways, in many ways, and uh, and then that that helps draw, as you were saying, the power of God into your meetings, and into your church and stuff, and I, and I believe it's very true. I've seen that, so thank you uh, very much. If you want to um, uh, listen to this again, I encourage you to do this. It'll be over on the ICE James YouTube channel. We have a whole channel over there, all sorts of teachings. Our webinars are there, our Friday Feast webinars, many other things. And uh, this will be a two-part series. We'll also put it in a playlist. We have Juergen, Dr. Jurgen Bueller, our president's uh, recent teaching on 10 reasons why we should uh, support Israel. And that's a three part series that's already there. And this will be a two part series that you can go and find. Uh, they should have it up later this afternoon uh, over on our YouTube channel. Malcolm Heading talking about possessing the gates of our enemies. I think, Malcolm, we should uh, end with a, a prayer here. If you'll pray for our ministry and our yep. movement, uh, we're just great to have you so much to involve with the embassy and and really reaching out to believers all over the world with this message. Thank you.
1: Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you this day for everything that you've called us to each one. And also in our local churches, We pray that we may be catalysts of restoration. We understand from your servant, Peter, that in the end time, near to the coming of your son, the Lord Jesus. You have said there will be a restoration of all things. So we pray that that restoration of all things may come to the church that its gates would be rebuilt and fortified so that the church from a position of power, authority, holiness, purity, can move out and assault the gates of hell. We thank you for the Ministry of the International Christian Embassy, Jerusalem. We thank you for its staff, for Jürgen, and all its directors and those who serve in the nations. We thank you for the prayer meetings that have gone globally by which this movement has heard this call of restoration and we pray that you'd bless our ministry together that your hand would be upon it in new ways in new power in new authority in new purity we pray for our feast which is upcoming that it may be greatly anointed and blessed and that your purposes for this generation. May be advanced by it. Lord we don't seek meetings. For meeting sake. Nor do we seek a feast. For historical or feast sakes. We seek your presence. We seek your anointing. We seek a deposit from heaven. That will be transforming. That we can bless this nation Israel. And Be. A sense of restoration to your church worldwide so thank you for these great and wonderful things thank you for my friend David bless him thank you for everything you've built into his life the richness of your word and the stability that he brings to all those that he ministers to for these great things we thank you today We give you praise and glory and honor in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you once again, uh, Malcolm, for that excellent teaching, which uh, will now be up there on our YouTube channel. Yes, we are in the world, but not of it. We're on YouTube. (laughs) Amen. But we are there preaching Jesus. Amen. Amen. Supporting Israel. So uh just go there and, and uh, go over this teaching, Ten Gates to look at and uh and the first teaching if you missed part one, go back and catch that. And be sure to join us tomorrow for our feast webinar at 3 o'clock Israel time on Friday afternoon. We have only a few weeks left to our Feast of Tabernacles. We're building up the excitement here. We uh, believe as we get closer and closer, this is the feast of the return of the Lord. And as we get closer to that great day, God has something usual, unusual in store each and every feast and we're just excited about what's in store, what he has in store this time. We've already I've been through uh, dozens and dozens of, we're going to have over 100 feast seminar teachings. Malcolm is on there with uh, a good series on the feast theme, Days of Elijah. Uh, Jurgens preparing uh, uh, his teachings on that, several other. we got a lot of good ministers addressing that issue, Israel and the church, local believers, Isaiah 19 Highway about 20 seminars on next generation we're getting ready for the uh the feast seven live seven days of live shows from jerusalem and all over the land uh Qumran, uh the um uh, sea of galilee we may even be on a jesus boat malcolm out there in the middle
1: oh, coming uh,
0: coming to you from there
1: can we do something and, uh,
0: yes and uh we'll see if we need our life jacket <laughs> But uh, uh, we'll also end at Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven. And we want the fire the Holy Spirit in our day. Tomorrow we'll be going over uh, the, some aspects of the feast and talking uh, uh, with uh, one, of the, one of our special guests will be Merv and Merla Watson, who were part of the founding generation of the embassy. They were pioneers in both Hebraic worship and Hebraic roots. They helped start the first Feast of Tabernacles and helped, uh, in the, they were uh, among the group that founded the embassy in 1980. And Mervyn Merle-Watson will be with us from Canada where they currently uh, are living back in Canada, but it would be great to have them on there. Uh, next Wednesday, join us again for our global prayer gathering, Wednesday at 4 p.m. Uh, Thursday, we'll be back here with another Feast webinar. We're trying to arrange probably a program on Afghanistan. Malcolm, you said you had a, a statement about what's happening there. It's very important, and we really all need to get a right understanding about what the developments there mean for this region and the whole world and uh, so we'll be back here next Thursday at 4 p.m. with another webinar likely on current affairs in Afghanistan we'll have to see and then next Friday another feast webinar so full menu and especially as we gear up for the feast please make plans to be with us the 20th through the 27th of September We are pleading, we're going out into the highways and the byways and say, get ready for this tune-up to the wedding feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's it for this week's uh, ICEJ weekly webinar. God bless you from Jerusalem. Shalom.
2: Prophet Elijah. The Lord worked mighty miracles all across the land of Israel. This year at the Feast of Tabernacles, we want you to experience that same fire of the Holy Spirit as in the days of Elijah. Journey with us through seven days of exciting Sukkot events in Jerusalem and all around Israel. Join us live from Qumran on the shores of the Dead Sea, where the voices of the prophets still echo. From Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' miracle working power was on display. And from Mount Carmel, where the fire of God rained down. You don't wanna miss a minute of this year's feast. When you register online today, you'll get access to all seven live shows from around Israel and over 80 plus seminars from Bible teachers and experts around the world. You'll also be able to join us for global prayer and anointed worship from Israeli and international artists. I know the Lord has a special appointment with you at the Feast of Tabernacles this year. Register online today and we'll see you at the feast.